Podcast, a podcast with a group of sisters where we get together and talk about old shows that we loved. I'm Anjali. I'm Sherilyn. And I'm Corinne. And this week we are talking about That 70s Show, Season 1, Episode 15, That Wrestling Show. Before we get into it, how was everybody's week? Hmm, pretty boring. Same, uh, the only thing that was new was my neighborhood got new pavement, so that's been the week of trying to figure out who's next, what road can I take, what, what I can't. Yeah, that's right. That, that's the highlight of your week is can I exit my house or not? I got trapped Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> well, your kid got a bonus day away from preschool. Yay! Yeah! <laughs> Corinne, how's your week been? I mean, same old, same old. So I'm an accountant, so at the beginning of the month, every month it's like, okay, I have all the same things to do every month, and so it's just one of those things where I was just getting the financial started. Just repetitive, <laughs> monotonous, yeah, all, all the things. Mm-hmm. Well, my week's been okay, but my kids have been gearing up to get to October break, and they finally have made it there. So now I'm in for like 10 days straight of my kids wanting to sleep in the living room and stay up late and watch movies. So that's fun. Memories. (laughs) Yeah, I'm letting them enjoy it as much as I can, even though it's like a huge mess in our living room, but they love it. And, you know, there's no reason not to. So anyway, that's kind of what we've been up to. Getting back to this episode, again, this is That Somebody Show Season 1, Episode 15, That Wrestling Show. Our director, as always, was David Trainer. The writers for this episode were Jeff Filgo and Jackie Filgo. Now remember, she was billing as Jackie Behan in uh, this time. Um, and then we have a lot of guest stars. Oh my goodness, do we have guest stars galore. We have Lisa Robin Kelly back as Lori Foreman. We have Ernie Ladd as Rocky Johnson's manager. We have Jim Turner as therapist. We have Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Rocky Johnson. Who's his father? Exactly. He gets to play his dad. Uh, We have Ken Shamrock as wrestler number one. Chris Hogan as therapist number two. Gene LaBelle as referee. Jeff Hardy as wrestler number two. Technically, it's uncredited, but that's who played him. And Matt Hardy as wrestler number three, also uncredited. Now, what's interesting is all these people that are involved in all the wrestling stuff... The manager, the person who plays Rocky Johnson, we know is The Rock, um, and wrestlers number one, two, and three, and the referee, all are famous wrestlers, like previous famous wrestlers from different periods in the past. So it's kind of interesting as we watch. And we'll talk about a lot of them as we go through. And then this episode originally aired on February 7th, 1999. Point Place, Wisconsin, Saturday afternoon, 3.42 p.m., Eric Foreman's basement. I'm so sorry. I'm already going to cut in here with a note. Um, this scene opens with Kelso talking about what happened in the previous episode. So I'm going to throw out a little spoiler here in case you haven't seen this very, very, very old show or listened to our previous episode. He's going to be talking about what happened with him and Jackie in the previous episode. So when I looked back on our notes for episode 14... It was listed as January 21st, 1977, Friday. And so since this is only giving us Saturday, we can assume that this is January 22nd, 1977. And then I also had a little 70s fact check about this time. 
What's interesting is that Friday, that January 21st, 1977, when Jackie and Kelso have their, you know, moment, that was also the same day that U.S. President Jimmy Carter grants an unconditional pardon to um, all the people who evaded the draft during the Vietnam War. So all the, um, let's see, I'm, I'm just going to read exactly what the note says. It says, in total, some 100,000 young Americans went abroad in the late 1960s and early 70s to avoid serving in the war. So all of those draft dodgers were officially pardoned on January 21st, 1977. Again, not anything relevant to this actual episode, but I thought it was a kind of a, a cool little 70s fact check about that day. Well, actually, about that day for our episode. <laughs> Sorry. Right as the episode begins, we see Kelso, Hyde, Fez, and Eric sitting in the basement. Everyone is in patterns galore. Kelso is wearing pink, I mean salmon, colored bell bottoms, and gray and pink cubed patterned shirt. And his hair is the most feathered we've seen without Ashen wearing a wig. Hyde has a burnt orange shirt with geometric stripes and red pants. Fez okay. is in... Red and orange is a horrible combination. And it is. Hyde, like, what were you thinking? I'm so sorry. Continue. <laughs> you threw off my groove. <laughs> Fez is in a brown button-up and bell bottoms with a tight plaid pattern. Eric is the most neutral out of all the clothes in a basic striped polo and jeans, which is kind of what his uniform is kind of turning out to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, none of them were, like, screaming 70s, except for the, like, burnt orange and red, which I was, like, gag. Um... But yeah, he's he's very casual with just jeans and a just a regular shirt. He Let's blame really... that on Kitty. Kitty's probably the one who has bought and picked out all of his clothes, even at this age. I, I don't imagine he carries a lot of money and goes clothes shopping for himself very often. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Because later on in the series, we will see him going shopping with his mom at some point. So yeah, he just doesn't have a defined style like Hyde later on. It's a clean cut look for Eric. And also, we see Fez in brown again. Uh-huh. And I almost said Kelso. Or, I almost mixed up all the words. And <laughs> Kelso is the, almost a flamingo. That's yes, what I was trying to say. Yes, <laughs> he definitely has that, that peacocking vibe. Yeah, yes, yes, I was going to say out. a peacock. He wants to stand out. Wrong bird, but yes, thank you. <laughs> well, he's a bird brain. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kelso has just told the boys that he and Jackie did it. But they don't believe him whatsoever. Which... Like, to be fair, of course they don't believe him. He's already been saying for months that they've been doing it. He's been bragging about, yeah, me and Kelsey, we've, or me and Jackie, we've totally done it. And so now that he's saying, we actually did it, they're like, no. Or like, I'm going to break up with her. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Mm, I they call it. him on his BS all the time. So exactly. I don't blame them for not believing him. Kelso tells the others to look at his face. He swears he did it. And somehow, they, when they all examine his face, they believe him. I, yeah. Maybe he has a tell. Who oh knows? my god! Oh my gosh! I think he did it. He <laughs> Kelso did it, and he's like jumping on the couch. Like that was what convinced you. Okay. Hyde reminds Kelso that it took him over a year of kissing Jackie's butt to get Jackie to sleep with him. And I said, ding, 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 ding. Uh, mark it off your bingo cards. Uh, I forget what I marked off my bingo card. Give me just a second. <laughs> so sorry. I figured out what it was. And I said, ding, 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 mark it off your bingo cards. This is technically Kelso having a dumb moment because Hyde goes, yeah, you did it in record time. And he goes, yeah, you think? Like so eagerly, like doesn't pick up on the sarcasm at all. So Kelso, you had a dumb moment. Mark it off your bingo cards. <laughs> well, after a year of kissing Jackie's butt, Kelso says, that's over now. Right. Like something's going to change. Yeah. 
Apparently, according to Kelso, he's so good at sex that something changed chemically in Jackie, and now she's his love slave. Just then, Donna and Jackie enter the basement. The girls bring more patterns to the scene. Donna is in an orange plaid top and overalls, and Jackie is in a huge wool-lined coat, a striped shirt, and jean shirt. She has big red barrettes on either side of her hair, which is a total 70s trend that started coming back around nowadays. Have you guys noticed that? Have yeah. Have you seen big, like, clips on either side of center parted hair? Mm-hmm. I get major, like, I get that they're trying to, like, spoof the 90s. They're bringing back all this 90s stuff, which it was in the 90s, but it definitely is a 70s look. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's all, all the center coming parts back. right now. Everything's coming back. It's all coming back to me now. Okay, Celine. <laughs> You're welcome, world. Jackie greets Kelso with a sickening, sweet, how are you? And Kelso takes the opportunity to show off to his buddies. He tells Jackie that he left his coat in the car, and she all too eagerly offers to go get it for him. When she leaves, Eric tells Kelso how cool the move was, but then immediately backpedals and calls it stupid when he sees the look of disapproval on Donna's face. Hyde interrupts the conversation before it goes anywhere else because the wrestling match comes back on TV. Donna seems to love wrestling because she grabs Eric's head in a headlock and pulls him down to her chest like a full face frontal situation. Obviously, she thought Eric would be in the mood to wrestle, but instead he just lets it happen. When the others point out there's no reason for him to fight back and the pro wrestling stars on the TV, she stops and releases him. (laughs) The two return to their spots watching the match just in time to hear that Rocky Johnson is going to be wrestling in Kenosha. Two ding 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 dings. Okay, the first one is Rocky Johnson. Mark it off your bingo cards. This is a reference to a 70s celebrity. And then Kenosha, mark it off your bingo cards that a Wisconsin city is mentioned. And they decide they all want to go. Red calls down for Eric to come upstairs. And Eric says he's coming, but then tells the other kids he'll go when he's ready. Much too shocked ooze from his friend. Right? He's testing the boundaries. Much like my two-year-old right now. Oh my goodness. Yes, she is. (laughs) But, so, even with this first scene, it just... It was so hard for me to watch this time around. Like, it was just so disgusting. Which part? Are you talking about the um, discussion of Jackie and Kelso or the Donna part? The Jackie and Kelso. I just, from this perspective of like a 30-year-old woman, because now I'm 30, um, (laughs) (laughs) who's seen some life, like just the, the fact that like Jackie becomes such a doormat and like it's just a thing where, oh, like... We had sex, and so now it's just like, oh, now I'm going to be a slave. And so, well, yeah, it just is like she's trying so hard to please him at this point, and it's it's coming off so awkward. I feel like it's the almost like you're acting like you're super in love because you did just do it, but then like she's super sweet, and I think she just wants to make him happy, and he's taking it as, oh, I make her so happy because we did we did this. So like so- he's reading it one way. And she's just... Right. So, like, he sees it as something literally changed in her and she just, like, wants to please him. And we find out later more about her motivations for why she's acting this way. But I do think it's a great comment on how some girls behave when they are in high school and do have sex for the first time. They do become, like, overly clingy. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be attracted and want to be around the person that you are having a physical relationship with. But I think that... This is proof that it 
it was too young for the two of them. Their relationship wasn't mature enough yet. She wasn't mature enough that he wasn't mature enough. And I think that this happens to a lot of high school kids. When you start doing these things too soon, you become overly attached and it's not good for you developmentally. It's not good for your relationship. I think it's just proof that it was, it was too soon for them. And I unfortunately have to agree with you on that one just because I have also seen that in high school. Like we, we just saw those girls a become doormats and then um, just B stay in toxic relationships much longer than they would have had they not had started having yeah. sex. Girls yeah, if they hadn't if they hadn't invested that part of themselves in this guy, then they would have seen like faults in the guy much earlier on and ended the mm-hmm. relationship. Whereas when you've given that part of yourself, quote unquote, given or like had this um, this very um, emotional connection with somebody. Uh, you tend to want to stick it out and try to push through a problematic relationship. Mm-hmm. Also, Donna super bugs me in this scene. It didn't used to grate on me as much as it does now. She's very much like one of those girls in this scene. She's always been one of the guys, right? Like, don't get me wrong. She's always been one of the guys, have that energy, that relationship with them. But let's think back on things that have happened in the last couple of episodes. Um, Hyde has admitted that he has feelings for her. He tried to kiss her when they went dancing. He had that super awkward um, Christmas thing with her and Eric. And then on the ski trip, he hit on her and kissed her. And now they're all sitting in the basement acting like nothing's happened because they've moved on, whatever. But she's pulling Eric's face into her chest with Hyde also sitting right there and the rest of the guys. To me, I'm like, what are you doing, Donna? Like, I know that you think that you're just being like one of the guys and like wrestling and having fun. But to me, it's like that girl that wants the attention. I know that that's not where this is coming from, but it just feels that way. Like that girl that thinks that she can just be like fun and flirty with all the guys. I know that that's not Donna, but that's just the vibe I get. And it really bugs me. But also like, I know in a previous episode, like her and Eric were wrestling and it was a thing. Yes. So that's why I'm like. And it's like a total thing for the two of them, but it just, it just rubs me the wrong way. I can see where you're coming from on that one, but I have to disagree with you. Okay. And that's okay. That's fair. It just, it just bothers me. For me, it's like, it's showing that they have moved past it because she is going back to her old self where she would wrestle with Okay. Eric. Okay. That's fair. That is fair. Do we remember which episode she was wrestling with him with others around? I don't remember. I know that there was a thing with them playing cards. I can't remember now if it was the first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they were playing cards and like... Uh... When he's like, so watch out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So they have had flirty moments, but I I don't know why. Maybe just because like she knows about Hyde's feelings for her. It just... I don't know. It was Some, an awkward... Something about it just bugs me. Maybe I'll think more on it and not be so bugged by it, but it just, it just rubbed me. I don't know. Upstairs in the kitchen, we see Lori in yet another strange pattern. Her shirt has uh, an odd red and blue blob pattern that's small in some places and large in others. Kitty wins for looking the most 70s in this scene, though. She's got on a pink button-up shirt that gathers with large cuffs at the wrist, a small patterned floral skirt, but the real winner is the homemade-looking quilted apron she's wearing. Um, That was giving me major flashbacks to some of our aunts and extended family like great aunts and things and some of the things that they would hold on to and wear it's sentimental it is but (laughs) that's just the vibe i got yep Lori is explaining that she just wanted to come home from college for the weekend even if all she had was dirty laundry and no money kitty is simply overcome by this sentiment 
as she looks at the full, dirty laundry basket and holds up a pair of men's boxers. Lori comes up with the world's worst lie about all the girls wearing boxers. But she's saved from having to explain further by Eric finally coming into the kitchen. Red already isn't happy with Eric because he called him five minutes before Eric came up, and things just get worse when Eric lies about returning library books that Red had found in the back of Eric's car. Red is upset that Eric didn't follow his rules, and tries putting his foot down and tells him to get his ass down to the library. Ding, 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 ding. Mark it off your bingo cards, Red said ass. <laughs> Eric does something we've never seen him do up until this point in the show. He flat out tells Red no. Red physically has to stand up at this point and clarify, Did you just tell me no? Eric isn't sure of himself and answers, Yeah. Whistling background music suddenly starts as Eric and Red get into each other's face and have a Western-style standoff with Kitty standing in the middle, anxiously panicking and waving her hands. Oh, dear. (laughs) I love this moment because it's so iconic of, like, their struggle, you know, of Eric trying to come into his own, but Red's going to, you know, like, I don't know, be the sheriff in town. I loved it. I thought it was so great. That was, like, one of my, like, most ingrained in my head moments from the show is actually that moment, the, oh, dear. Yeah, oh, dear. I love it. She says it's so great. And then cue the rock and roll credits. Back at the foreman's kitchen now, Kitty approaches Red to point out something interesting. And Red instantly seems to know it's not something he wants to hear. Kitty continues anyway, pointing out that Red can actually talk to Lori, but only gives Eric orders. Kitty's worried that if Red doesn't work on creating a friendship with Eric, that Eric will eventually move out and go far away. Red doesn't seem to care about that but Kitty threatens not to give Red any peace until he tries. She'll be there in the middle of every newspaper he's reading, every nap he's taking, every football game he's watching. She'll be there talking, 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 talking. I love how he, in that moment, is like so defeated. He just lays his head on the table like, oh, I'm not getting out of this. What am I going to do? So if you guys had to threaten your husbands like this, if there was something that you wanted um, him to do and you wanted to bug him about it, what kinds of things would you have to threaten? What would you have to bring up that would really bug him? Like she says, you know, in the middle of every newspaper you're reading, all those things. What would you guys say? Um, For me, I think it would be something along the lines of, of every game you're playing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, like in the middle of every game or every conversation or something like that. <laughs> mm, okay. I like it. Yes. Definitely my husband, every game that you're playing for sure would be on that list. Sherilyn, what about you? Uh, maybe that the game one too. Because sometimes it's quite annoying where I'm sitting there, I might be doing something, he's just go on and on and on. And oh, here's the kids in the background waking up from a nap. Like maybe you can get up and go get them. Like mm. try rather than me stopping everything I'm doing. Right. But okay. So if, if, but if, so is that, if there was something you needed from him, what would you threaten though to interrupt? Mm. Like every game that he's playing and what else would you have to threaten to interrupt to get him to help? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have a go-to on that one yet. Definitely games I think would apply to all of our husbands. I think I also would have to say like... Every TV show you're watching? Every TV show you're watching. Every um, Instagram role that you're watching or whatever. As you're scrolling, I'll be there talking. 
Yeah, I was going to say doom scrolling. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Or when they're blaring their YouTube, what, whatever they're watching reels. But it's yeah. like, hey, turn it down. I'm gonna, or I'm gonna let ta- me interrupt I'll talk you. talk over it. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> or interrupt everyone because it's like they'll sit there and watch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. And it's blaring. And I'm like, hey, like, finish it. Next door in the Pinciani house, though, Bob, Midge, and Donna are quietly sitting around their kitchen table. So some things here about fashion. Um... Midge and Bob are both wearing long sleeve tops with Bob's being like a light blue with plaid in the front. For him, it was like very 70s. We know that he likes very gaudy fashion, but it was like toned down for him. Um, Midge is in a turtleneck sweater that's doing that annoying thing that happens with all sweater tops. I don't know if it happens to you guys. I know it probably does though, where it clings to where the edge of your pants are. So because she's wearing high-waisted pants in the seventies, it's creating this weird rolling effect right in her middle. Again, it's, it's not that she's rolling. It's just the fabric clings. And I'm like, that's why, that's why I don't wear sweater tops is that thing right there. So annoying. Anyway, Midge says that she wants to start therapy. And Donna bails on the conversation instantly and rushes out of the kitchen. Bob says therapy is only for crazy people. Midge is prepared for his disapproval because somehow she comes up with the unexamined self is an unfulfilled self, which seems way too sharp for our normal Midge. Like that was a little bit deeper than I would normally expect to come from her. Bob doesn't seem to understand how she could be unfulfilled when he provides everything for her. After Bob lists all that he does for Midge, she wonders what she does, and Bob hits us with this gem. You fill out that sweater real nice. When Midge gets offended and leaves, he double downs that it's a compliment. Oh, Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. So aside from him totally missing the boat on being like dismissive of Midge and her needs and her wants, um, it would be really nice to have someone like Bob in your corner all the time, just Just saying, just giving you a random compliment. It's a compliment. Thanks, Bob. I mean, missing the point again, but nice. It totally reminds me of um, anytime that I try to express anything to my husband about what's going on and instead I get a compliment about my butt. I don't know if you guys ever have that. It definitely happens all the time. (laughs) I did not. I would not have ever known that. Yep, all the time. So like you're saying, oh, I have like these issues about like the kind of way you treat me, but your butt looks nice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not necessarily about like the way that he treats me or anything. I'll be like, oh, you know, I've got this going on. I'm trying to do the dishes or like so-and-so is bugging me. And he's like, hey, hey, turn around again real quick. No, that's not what we're talking about right now. You know, that kind of stuff, that energy. (laughs) Nobody else has anything like that? Nope. No, we can't. My husband and I, we compliment each other's butts from time to time. See, that's nice. See, it's kind of similar to like um, when you say, oh, I have, you know, this is what's going on. This is really bothering me. I don't know if your husbands ever do this. And they're like, you know, you know what would help that situation? And then they bring up something sexual. Like, I don't know if you guys ever have that moment either. Oh, my husband (laughs) will do that too. Oh, you can get, just get naked. (laughs) Yeah. Not helpful. Thanks, hon. Not helpful at all. The Foremans have just started eating dinner, and Kitty has offered ribs to Lori. Lori rudely reminds her mom that she's on a, her water and yogurt diet. Kitty is mostly happy that the whole family is eating together. She then moves on to Red, reminding him that family time is fun. Red tries making conversation and ends up upset when Eric has a smart mouth. Lori repeats what was said, upsetting Red more. Kitty changes the topic to the weekend, learning that both boys are interested in wrestling. Kitty invites Red along with Eric and his friends. 
They both resist, but she tells them they are going to the wrestling show. It's kind of like Kitty has the final word. Okay, in this scene, did you notice when um, Kitty is, like, scooping the potatoes onto Red's plate, she almost knocks down all of the glasses? Oh, how did I miss that? No. no. Like, she was, like, forcefully doing it. She's and like, like when, Red, Red, you need some potatoes. And, like, like throwing it When on she, the plate. like, does that on the plate, her arm comes back and she almost knocks over Red's, Red's and hers. I don't know about Eric's, but, like, yeah, the, they were very um, precariously Hearing. wobbling. <laughs> no, I did notice when she slams her hands on the table when they both are trying to, like, get out of the wrestling thing and she slams her hands on the table. So you're both going. Ha, 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 ha. She slammed so hard that I was like, how much water spilled out of those glasses? Because you can see it really, like, going. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't notice when she I didn't notice potatoes. either of those things when you, when we read, or when we watched them. <laughs> um, the water and yogurt diet, though, did you know that was an actual fad that happened in the 70s? It was, like, a thing. And apparently it promised that you would lose 20 pounds in two weeks. And you were limited to only 1,000 calories a day. And apparently the man who wrote the book died a year after um, publishing the book. Surprise, surprise. Um, somehow water and yogurt is not a great diet for you. I mean, if you're trying to lose 20 pounds every, like, what, three weeks, every four weeks, yeah, you're going to lose fat and then your heart's going to stop working. Yeah, no nutrition. Or very little, I should say. Mitch is sitting on the floor having her therapy session. Now, she's wearing a top that looks like it's covered in fluffy red clouds, but the therapist seems like a stereotypical shrink in a black turtleneck. This therapist is pretty much agreeing with everything Midge is saying, pretty much flirting with her. Now, I noted very quickly, to me, like, his attitude, his tone, however he's coming off, his smile, like, this therapist is completely sleazy. I imagine this is how husbands might feel when their wife initiates going to therapy. Like, everything you say is right. Everything he does and says is wrong. Like, that's what I imagine husbands might be feeling in some certain therapist, you know, type of situation. You just want to go to therapy so that you and your therapist can gang up on me type thing. But in this case, this therapist really, like, gives. Yeah. 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 That's instantly what he went for. Um, His voice was so... Like, well-suited for this part, the actor. Like, everything you say is completely right. And everything Bob says is completely wrong. And, like, calming. It stuck in my brain. And I was like, where have I heard this guy talk before? This is going to bug me. <laughs> I looked on his IMDb because mm-hmm. I was like, I have to know. I have to know what he's been in. Mm-hmm. Did you know what it was? No, but I'm just laughing. Yeah, you're a worm. It was, it was bothering me. I'm, like, voices get me all the time. Anyway, so I was looking... I, he has done a lot of bit parts. He has a huge IMDb list of things that he's been in, like credits to his name. And I was scrolling and I was scrolling and I was like, none of these, none of these are what I've seen. I found it. What was it? He had one part in Dharma and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> that one thing came I out to you. <laughs> love Dharma and Greg. I've seen all five seasons multiple times. <laughs> Sorry, great. You got me so good. You thought you were He is in one episode. I believe it's in season two. He also plays kind of like a therapist in this like hippie scenario. And um, it's like a marriage retreat thing. And he's the curator. He's the one in charge, whatever. So anyway, I knew I'd heard him. That was where it was from. Kind of a similar role, but not quite the same. He's not like a sleaze in, in Dharma and Greg. <laughs> that makes sense why it was so ingrained in your brain. It was like iconic. I was like, I know this guy. Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, going back to what, you know, the- what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. 
The whole gang is out by the garage waiting to get in the car to go to the show. Bob points out that he'll be home alone because Midge is at therapy. Red sees right through his guilt trip and tells him to get into the car. I love that he does he it smiles. with a giggle too. Get in the car, Bob. Like, just stop this. I love that. Red instantly demands the keys, and after a little back and forth with Eric, Eric reluctantly hands them over. Kitty is right behind Red to remind him to try and be friends and get along. So Red hands the keys back to Eric. Red tells Kitty that they're going to kill each other, and Kitty doesn't care as long as they do it together. (laughs) (laughs) Once they are on the road, we notice that everyone in the Vista Cruiser is in their own wrestling match, except for Red and Eric. Literally all we can see is a mass of kids rolling around in the back, even pulling Donna from the front to get involved, and loud rock music on the radio, all while Eric is trying to drive with Red criticizing every little thing. Which I also noticed Bob in the mix too. He's like in the he's corner, in the back seat, like, yeah, like, <laughs> like kind of keeping to himself, but he's there. He's involved. He's like stuck underneath people, <laughs> pretty much. I even noticed a hand. It was Hyde reach forward and like grab at Red's shoulder, and Red kind of like swats his hand off and then keeps yelling at Eric. <laughs> uh, suddenly, Red starts yelling about the yield sign, and the scene immediately cuts to Red driving. Now everyone is in their own seat, calm, quiet, with Red listening to his relaxing radio station. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, mark it off your bingo cards. This is kind of halvesies, but um, the relaxing radio station is very obviously Rhinestone Cowboy playing. So I marked it off my bingo card as a reference to 70s music. Because you can hear the lyrics and like the song and everything. And apparently the rock song that they had been listening to beforehand was Iron Man by Ozzy Osbourne. That's what it's listed as, but it didn't sound like Iron Man to me. Hmm. But anyway, either way, reference to 70s music, mark it off your bingo card. So I have given this scene a lot of thought over the years, and I couldn't figure out why it bugged me. This is another thing. It was kind of like, is this realistic? I don't know if I like this scene. But I remember it like as a teenager driving around with friends. Like, yeah, you might mess around in the car. I don't think that we would full on wrestle in the car, but you like mess around with your friends. You're singing, you're goofing off, whatever. And then, like, riding around with friends' parents is a totally different vibe. You, like, sit, you're respectful, you talk, but you're not, like, goofing off as much. And I don't think that there would be any time that my friend would be driving with their parent in the car and we would continue to just mess around. Like, just the parent being in the car, you wouldn't be acting that way. So with Eric driving, I don't feel like his friends would necessarily be messing around that much with Red sitting there. But I, like, I get the humor of it. I understand. But it still bugs me. And while I agree with that, I think they were just playing up to the whole, they're going to a wrestling match. So they're, like, hyped up. (laughs) See, I can't can't believe from the beginning, uh, Red let uh, Kelso and Jackie first climb into the back, like, and then shut the door, like, loading everybody up. It's like, wouldn't you think, knowing that they're dating, maybe just have Jackie in another seat while we're driving to the thing. Like, they don't need to be in the back with with red in the front seat with just the two of them yeah but i mean we see bob get in the back too so maybe he was like okay there's there's a grown-up back there quote unquote grown-up he doesn't really you know consider bob as much a grown-up but he was like okay everybody's supervised but then it just dissolved into chaos yeah anyway at the actual wrestling match not in the car uh we get a better look at everyone's changed outfits because this is the next day maybe Um, Really nothing stands out as overly 70s. There's lots of sweaters, wide collars, stripes. But Hyde is wearing a shirt with what looks like a Campbell's soup can, except the logo on the can reads cannabis instead of Campbell's. 
Nice little touch for Hyde. All Red seems to be doing is complaining. He eventually leaves to go buy himself an overpriced beer, and Eric and Donna comment about how happy they are that their dads came. At least Bob is leaving Donna alone, but not poor Fez. I love how offhandly she's, poor Fez, like, out of nowhere. <laughs> but ding, 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 mark it off your bingo card. I kind of counted this as technically Bob embarrassing Donna because he's sitting there venting to her friends about his marriage troubles. But, I mean, at least he's leaving her alone. I'll accept it. Thank you. I appreciate it. The scene shifts, and now we see Bob sitting next to an uncomfortable-looking Fez, and he's just complaining about Mitch wanting to go to therapy. Um, Fez doesn't really seem to know what to do, but luckily for him, Hyde is sitting on the other side, and he's ready to jump in. He acts supportive of Bob's complaining, and then suggests Bob go get them all a beer so they can talk more about it. Ding, 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 ding. Mark it off your bingo cards. The kids want beer. Bob offers sodas instead, but Hyde keeps pushing the issue. He insists Bob needs some friends and they need beer. Bob turns him down again, so Hyde tells Bob he's on his own, and the two kids get up and walk away. I love that. Well then, Bob, you're on your own. <laughs> that is like the best. I love that moment. You see how you drive people away? And then they walk <laughs> away. Like, I love the two of them in that moment. It makes my heart happy. It also makes me happy that Fez was able to get away for a moment. Yes, <laughs> like Hyde rescued him, and they're like, Bye. So one quick note, this scene was actually filmed in the same gym where in episode three, Streaking, they had the um, the presidential rally. I thought it looked familiar. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the same gym. And then I was curious. So Red mentions, now I got to go pay two bucks for a 10 cent beer. I was like, what would that equal in today money? So according to what I was able to find online, might not be the most accurate information, but what I found was 10 cents in 1977 is about the same as like 50 cents today, which I was like, that's cheap for a beer. But like, maybe if you're just getting one can or whatever, maybe I could see it possibly being cheap. Um, and then $2 is about $10.19. So that's a huge markup if you're going in today money, 50 cents to a $10 beer. So I was like, well, maybe he was exaggerating when he said a 10 cent beer, like maybe it's not quite that cheap. Um, but paying $2 for it would be like paying $10 now. And I'm like, okay, I could see that at like a big event. They definitely charge a lot for drinks. Oh, for sure. Well, even as I've previously waitressed, like, and the prices and happy hour and the main ones that are like the one, the big sellers, you got your Budweiser, your Bud Light, like those are the big name ones. The big now, label ones. Yeah. I know that there were other ones around in the 70s. And there were those, I'm sure, as well. But you got to think, like, big name, the ones that people mostly drink, they were the easy to get to. So those were probably what they wanted to get. Probably. Anyway, back at the foreman's, Midge is excited to tell Kitty and Lori about her therapy session and how it has already helped her. And, like, why wouldn't she be excited? The therapist literally said, everything you say is right. So she's like, yes, I felt so good. She's so happy with her therapist. And mentions that he's hosting an encounter group. But she's too shy to go alone with major side-eye toward Kitty. Kitty picks up on the hint and jumps out of her seat to be busy doing anything else so that Midge won't ask her to go with. Midge asks anyway, and Kitty immediately turns her down. Midge gives one of her best convincing speeches to Kitty. I love this. She goes, she brings up some bake sale from the past and says, this is like the time you asked me to help you host the bake sale. Only it's different because I said yes. That <laughs> <laughs> was a good guilt trip. Also so for sure. good. So Kitty finally relents and agrees to go. And Lori decides she's coming too when she hears that there will be free drinks. The show has obviously started. 
Rocky Johnson gets in the ring and Eric starts explaining to Red what's going on with Red complaining about everything being fake until someone gets dropped on their ass and now Red's super into it. Everyone is standing watching in excitement. Red and Eric seem to be enjoying their time together while they watch the rest of the matches. We see lots of bad hair on the wrestlers with perms, bangs, ponytails, and mullets. And like obvious wigs, but like yeah. pretty good examples of 70s hair, but like so bad. Like pro wrestlers trying to look extreme, but it looks awful. But at the same time, have we seen the midgets come in that they mentioned earlier? Oh <laughs> I think that we did see the midgets and like in the montage. Their wigs are intense too. We see a montage of two wrestlers throwing each other around, doing flips off the ring, and one even does a flying flip off the other's shoulder. Okay, so these two wrestlers I kind of mentioned before, um, they were played by Matt and Jeff Hardy, and I said that they were played by professional wrestlers. So these guys were known in the wrestling world as the Hardy Boys, with a Z, and apparently they're known as one of the greatest tag teams ever, and they are known for their flying acrobatics in the ring, which is why they were hired for this. Like, that's what they do. But also at the same time, it looks so staged. Oh, it did. Like, you can definitely tell that they're, like, counting in, like, okay, set one, two, as they, like, get ready to throw each other. And they probably had to, like, wait for action to be called and all the things. Um, So, yeah, it definitely looks fake. But in my opinion, all pro wrestling looks pretty fake. Okay, don't come for me. But, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny because, like, I've heard – I don't remember what what I was watching, but, like, apparently – Back in those days, it was very fake, and um, even today it is now, but, like, some people didn't know as much as others, so, like, sometimes, like, Hulk Hogan, apparently, like, he would, like, throw stuff, and he didn't realize it was, like, everyone else was faking. Oh, really? (laughs) I might be wrong. It's either him or, like, The Rock. That's so interesting that you say that, because I was reading up a lot on The Rock. I was trying to figure out the whole, like, face versus heel thing, and, like, Mm -hmm. how they would script fights and all the things, and apparently there was one very iconic fight where The Rock, he knew that he was scripted to, like, hit one of the other guys with a chair, Mm -hmm. and apparently it was only supposed to be three hits, but he ended up wailing on the guy, like, a ton, and, like, knocking him, they were in the stands at this point, not even in the ring, and, like, knocking him up the stairway or whatever, the, the aisle where people are supposed to walk, hit him a whole bunch extra times, and the guy was completely knocked out at this point, like for real. Mm-hmm. And it was a big deal. I, I'm butchering the details. I'm so sorry, but I was reading about this and yeah, he would, he would take it to the extreme apparently. But yeah, I've never been able to get into pro wrestling because of the fake aspect. I also was reading too, that one thing about this episode is it's surprising that the teenagers would be so into it because apparently in the seventies, pro wrestling was more of like an old retired guy's sport and wasn't huge on like the younger generation. And some of those guys didn't realize it was so fake. So red pointing out how fake it was, was odd for the time. Jackie is trying to take care of Kelso's every need. Donna has to get to the bottom of Jackie's behavior and is grossed out learning that they did it. She goes, ew. No, ew. (laughs) (laughs) Jackie is worried that Kelso will get bored of her. And Donna is worried that he'll want to do it again with Jackie. Jackie finally sees that from now on, she's the one in charge. Fez and Hyde try to get beer by faking a father's voice. Still, 
No beer. I know. I love that he's like, and a beer for my dad. Because that's a thing that I've heard, especially from my mother-in-law. They were allowed to go down to like the drugstore and be like, oh, my dad asked me to get like this pack of cigarettes or, you know, whatever. Like they need, and my dad asked me to get this and they would sell it to kids because. They knew the parents. My dad needs it, whatever. Yeah. They knew the parents and they were aware that it was going to the parent. So I love that they tried that. And, And a beer for my dad. What seems to be the problem? So like Fez coming into the frame and blowing the surprise yeah. of the, the, the scenario. Just, oh my goodness. They tried. Red's just as into the match now as all the rest of the crowd. When one of the wrestlers rolls out of the ring and onto the floor in front of Red and Eric, the two of them heckle the wrestler together. He gets in their face and gets them to nervously sit down. But as he walks away, Red admits to Eric that he's having fun. Okay, this guy's wig bugged me. Like, <laughs> they made it such an intense mullet, but it looked like, um... It looks like a Karen haircut. Yes, it does! <laughs> and it, oh, it's the worst. Uh, honestly, it looked like a really bulked out Karen to me. Like, yeah. oh, that's, like that's all I could see. <laughs> <laughs> After Rocky Johnson's match is over, Eric and Red wait outside the locker rooms, hoping to get his autograph. Rocky seems to be in a bad mood because he waves off the crowd outside the door and even pulls his arm back like he's going to throw a punch before entering the locker room. Okay, this is obviously one of The Rock's earlier acting experiences because of the way he like waves off the crowd and then like does his punch thing. Very planned, very awkward, very much like hit my marks, get this done, get into the locker room. Mm -hmm. Now he's been in what, like 30 movies? Yeah, he's he's Of the same movie. Yes, his his skills have improved, we could say. But yeah, this was, he was, he was newbie. Early days, yeah. The rest of the crowd gives up and walks away. But Red encourages Eric to just go into the locker room to get his autograph. Eric reminds Red that that would be breaking the rules as a callback to the beginning of the episode. And Red rolls his eyes and leads Eric into the locker room anyway. <laughs> Which I love, like that callback. That, yeah. Oh, like, we would be just, what was it? Crap throwing, flinging people? Or? Oh my goodness. He says the world would be full of uh, crap throwing tree flings. Oh my goodness. Something tree, something <laughs> crap. I don't even remember. Like that's but, a, a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> Eric and Red locate Rocky Johnson. Ding, 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 ding. Mark it off your bingo cards. We've seen him in his previous scene, but this is the first appearance of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Even though we had all these other professional wrestling guys, you might have known them as the famous celebrity. This one is the big one. So mark it off your bingo cards, a famous guest star. And congratulates him on beating up all those midgets, which that is such a 70s thing. I must say like, oh, midgets, let's just throw them in there. No, right? Like, and it was a huge thing. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Rocky Johnson starts complaining about getting bit on the knees and shows off all the midget bites. I just love, I, it sounds so terrible. Midget bites. Like, <laughs> it's not a thing. Okay. Of course they only reach your knee. <laughs> right? Red asks for an autograph, but Rocky's manager steps in to refuse an autograph. When Red reveals that he may be the only one in the room, in a room full of professional wrestlers who may have actually killed a man, the manager backs down and allows one autograph. Rocky mentions how nice it is that the two of them are spending time together and mentions he has a son of his own. He even thinks that one day his son will be the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Red seems unimpressed with his Red seems unimpressed with this prediction, but asks that the autograph be made out to Red because of his son's nickname. Eric tries to wave him off and spells Eric for Rocky, but Red doubles down by calling Eric Red, and Rocky seems convinced. 
Like, okay, not cool, Red, to try and steal the autograph and be like, oh, yeah, it, it's his nickname. It's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. Stop kidding around, Red. Like, oh, my gosh. Um, but I love that callback to the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Um, that was obviously Dwayne The Rock Johnson's nickname. Um, I was trying to figure out how he got the nickname. It seems like it was one that he gave himself and the media just kept repeating, but I couldn't figure out where it originated from. I tried. And Sherilyn, I believe you tried too. Yeah, I tried. Lo- I kept looking it up and it keeps pulling me back to something from 2008, like the DVDs that they're selling now. Now, my guess is because this was made in 1999, is that in, like maybe just in the few years before this, um, somehow within the wrestling world, I either my, my guess is it's either he named himself or the WWE did or um, maybe it was an article. I don't know because everything kept coming up with more current so the, stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't go down the rabbit hole, but my guess is that it's something related to the late '90s and wrestling somehow, and that's why it was so prominent now when The Rock has this in his lines. Yeah, so that's his nickname for sure. Calling but... out that this is him. Yeah. <laughs> So, a couple of things I noticed. Um, there was a tattoo on the rock's arm of, like, a bull with horns. And mm-hmm. I was like, is this a recreation of one of his dad's tattoos? Or is this just a tattoo that they didn't cover? It's the second. It was his tattoo that they just chose not to cover. His dad did not have any tattoos that I could see on his arms when I was looking at photos. So, that was a goof, I think, by the show. And the rock is wearing a wig to look, make his hair look more like an afro. But they should have given him a very wide widow's peak to make him look a little bit more like his dad. Everything else, though, was pretty spot on to his dad with the mustache and everything. And um, the 70s man. Yeah. One thing is the manager was um, a terrible actor. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> terrible actor. It's not his forte. So he was also a professional wrestler in the 70s. His nickname was the Big Cat. Because he's super tall. I don't know if you noticed in the scene. He was like towering over Red. He was a former professional football player. And then he turned into a wrestler. And then I had another note here though. About the WWF. Which is the wrestling network. Um, So the main characters in the show. They attend. I'm just going to read this straight off of what I found online. So I apologize. This is going to sound like I'm plagiarizing. This comes from the IMDB trivia. It says the main characters attend a WWF wrestling card. In the time frame of the show, the WWF was known as the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. So it should have had three W's. WWWF. It was promoted only in the Northeast. So Wisconsin would have been part of the territory for the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, which was promoted by somebody named Vernie Gagne. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. So the dur- the earliest WWF show in Wisconsin was actually held on April 18th, 1985. So this is a goof. It shouldn't be WWF. And Rocky Johnson worked in the NWA in the 70s. He did not actually sign with the WWF until the 80s. And in the 70s, it was still known as WWF. So a couple of goofs there. So sitting back in their seats, Jackie and Kelso are watching the next match when Kelso tries to hint to Jackie that he wants a soda. She agrees that soda sounds good and tells him she'll have a diet. He says he wants a root beer, but then he notices that Jackie's not hopping up to get the sodas. Uh, He tries to sweet talk her into getting them like he's been doing all day, but instead she makes it very clear for him to get her a soda. Now! And I said, ding, 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 mark it off your bingo cards. Jackie is bossy to Kelso. So Kelso finally jumps up and runs to the concessions. 
Jackie taps Donna on the shoulder to make sure she saw that Jackie's the man. So Bob, meanwhile, silently walks back to his seat with a cup in each hand. As he approaches, Fez moves over so Bob can sit between him and Hyde. As Bob sits down, he looks at the boys and then rolls his eyes and hands each of them one of the cups. The boys drink with smiles on their faces, and Bob puts an arm around each of their shoulders before starting his rant. Apparently, all the trouble started about six, six months ago when Midgey got a subscription to Cosmo. But that's all we get to hear. <laughs> now, we are back at, I don't know if it's an office, a living room. It's very questionable. Mm-hmm. The women are at the orgy. We mean the encounter session. <laughs> we enter in to what looks like someone's living room, maybe the office therapist practice is at. Instantly, ick feeling alert. There are candles lit throughout the, the room. The therapist seems to be using very suggestive language as he just kind of opens and talks to everybody. Then singles out Kitty first to share with the group. Lori makes some snide comment about housewife things, and Kitty gets her thoughts together. Then Kitty unleashes her true feelings about Lori's behavior, choices, and how she treats people. Lori is shocked, and the therapist compliments Kitty for sharing. I loved what Kitty said. She was right? so open and honest and, like, to the point. Like, good job. Lori needed to hear that. Instantly, Kitty is happy and, like, giddy, giggling, like, ready to move on. Yeah, she got that off her chest. Here we go. She's feeling better about this. Load had been lifted off Kitty's shoulders. Then the therapist asks everyone to pair off, and we see some of the men taking off their shirts. Instantly, Kitty goes into escape mode, taking Lori and Midge by the hand and running for the door. Midge is confused as to what is happening. And very simply, Kitty tells her, it's a bad doctor. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed in the scene, Kitty, Lori, and Midge are the only females in the room. And there are at least four men there. So if Kitty and Lori hadn't agreed to go with Midge, she would have been there alone in the room with this creepy doctor and these total Chester guys with like their... Chester molester stashes like I hesitate to know what would have happened to Midge in that moment I don't know that the men would have ganged up on her but maybe like the girls were able to escape pretty easily they just got up and ran away but like realistically this is the 70s and she would have been alone in a room with four men like it could have gone very much wrong you're not wrong unfortunately it just it gives me like anxiety thinking about what could have happened to her thank goodness Kitty and Lori were there. When uh, when watching this episode, was it an immediate like pan out to see the room? I feel like I must have just not even looked. So it pans out as Kitty um, is talking to Lori. You can kind of see some of the background people, but as they jump and jump up and start to leave the room, you can see all who's there. Okay, maybe I just didn't get a good look. <laughs> Eric and Red return home in fairly good moods. Eric even got to drive, and Red's grateful that they didn't die in the process. In a rare moment for the two of them, Eric sincerely tells his sad that he had a lot of fun with him that night. Red even agrees with a smile. Then, suddenly, the nice cities are over, and they are both crouched down in wrestling stances, trying to take each other down. It's touch and go for a moment, with both gaining the upper hand, when quickly Eric pins Red's arms behind his head and forces him to kneel down on his knees. Eric has won, and he excitedly shouts, Who's the king? Who's the king? Such an iconic moment for me. I remember that all the time. Mm -hmm. But Red grabs his neck and winces in pain. Eric instantly releases and apologizes profusely. Sure, he's now in a lot of trouble. Red stumbles to his feet and takes Eric by surprise, 
grabbing him from behind and forcing him down to his knees. Now who's the king? When Eric admits Red's the king, we see a genuine smile on Red's face, and he gives Eric a firm and endearing hug. I love this moment for him and Red. Like, Red is so seldom, like, affectionate with Eric, and in this very genuine way, like, they've had a great time together, which... Red didn't think was going to happen. He's even admitted he can't be friends with Eric because he's too twitchy. And like, that's your kid. I get that as they grow into teenagers, like your relationship shifts, but like, that's still his little boy. And like in this moment when they're wrestling, they're both just so happy to have this moment. And he just smiles and gives his kid a hug. I love, it's so heartwarming. I love it. Is this the only time we see them hug in this show? Unclear. I don't know. I can't remember when off the top of my head. We'll have to follow this to see if this is the only hug we see from Eric and Red in the show. Maybe a different separate list that we keep on the side of all the hug moments. Yeah. I mean. I'll write it down somewhere. (laughs) In our many lists. (laughs) Yeah. I will write it down somewhere. I love that. Okay. Midge is now in another therapist's office talking about her bad experience with her last therapist. She describes how she needs someone to listen to her and take her seriously. All while this new therapist is staring at her chest and drawing pictures of it on his clipboard. Because, you know, classy. Classy guy. When Midge pauses for a moment, the therapist asks her if she wants to go to a party later. Midge doesn't get what's going on and enthusiastically agrees, Okay. And that's the end. That's all we get to see. Like, poor Midge. And... Now we've arrived at our funniest moment of the episode. What do you guys think was the funniest moment? For me, I loved Kitty just point blank just telling Lori how exactly a spoiled brat she is. I love that she uses the word uh, spoiled brat. You're an ungrateful spoiled brat. I'm like, ooh, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> yeah, like, I love you, honey. It's <laughs> great. Oh my goodness. Sherilyn, what did you think? I definitely enjoyed it when... When he told, when Eric told his dad, no. Oh, yes. Okay, so, like. It stands out. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, branching off of that, I love the Western style standoff with that. Like, the the feel of the whole scene. I love it. Okay, best quote. I have, like, three. I'm so sorry. I'm so bad at just one. Okay, I'll start. I love when Midge says, what do I do? And Bob says, you fill out that sweater real nice. (laughs) Okay, I don't love it for her, but it's a funny moment. And then um, there's also a moment when Red's trying to be friendly with Eric. And he goes, so how was school? And Eric instantly, why would you hear? Like, <laughs> he's in trouble. And then uh, poor Fez, huh? Is one I loved Donna saying. And then, well then, Bob, you're on your own. See how you drive people away? <laughs> Love those. I mean, those were all the, like... I hit what, all the good ones, I you know. You really did. So I'm like, <laughs> what else What else is there? The la- the, yeah, I was going to no, say, do the ew. last one. Yeah. <laughs> ew! No, ew. ew. <laughs> I was just going to say, that is my quote right there. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's good. I'm glad I hit it. Okay, and then most relatable moment. So the most relatable one for me is kind of just the wrestling with your significant other. So like kind of how Eric and Donna were at the beginning... Except, you know, one doesn't just go limp. Right. Me and my husband, when we were first um, dating, that's one of those things where I'm kind of a tomboy. I kind of wrestle sometimes. Okay. And so that w- it's just good fun sometimes. So, okay. I'm not against that moment for them, like, wrestling. Like, that's so fun. That's so cute between the two of them. I didn't mark it off my bingo card as, like, Donna and Eric having a cute moment 
because the others are there, I feel like it takes away from it. That I feel like is the more that I've thought about it as we've been recording. I feel like that's maybe my issue with it is just that the others are there because she has always been this tomboy and that, Mm -hmm. that has been their relationship, but it being around the others feels weird now because they're starting today. I don't know. Maybe that's what's bugging me. I can't, I can't place it. But, but I do agree with you that that is a relatable moment. Yeah. Okay, mine was Donna's reaction after finding out that Jackie, Jackie and Kelso had done it. When she, that, ew. Ew! No, ew. Like, when we were in high school, that would have been my reaction. Mm-hmm. For sure. What about you, Cher? I don't know if I had a relatable moment, like, n- with any of these scenes, necessarily. Because, like, yes, I had, you know, uh, friends and... Riding back of cars, car seats. Like, the only thing that, like, remotely kind of goes with the wrestling is one of the times I was riding in my cousin's car and the our friend was in the front seat and it was a little Honda. Little Honda. So it had not even a real back seat. Like, okay. But I was in the back seat and they decided to do some type of quick, like, turn, flip around in this car, like, on, on our friend's road in front of their house. Because it was such a small car, but I went from one side of the car to the next. Oh, my goodness. No wrestling. Nobody to catch me. I had a golf ball-sized bruise, like, on my ribs or somewhere, you know, like, the following Ouch. week. Ouch, yeah, because you slammed the other side of the car. And, and, I mean, I was laughing. I was in pain, but I was laughing. And so was my cousin and our friend. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I have comparable to. <laughs> I'll take it. I like it. I like it. So, like, Rough messing around in cars. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of hard with this one because none of us have really been big fans of professional wrestling. Yeah. So I, I don't, I would have been interested to find out where the concept of this came in if they were trying to do this because maybe the WWE or WWF was having some sort of big promotion and they were trying to get attention by incorporating them into that 70 show. I don't know. Were they on the same network at that time? I could not find information about that because I didn't think to look. <laughs> I have a bit That's of information. I didn't, I didn't think about that. I just bring these on you sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should know that, but I don't. Um, but yeah, it makes it a little bit harder for us just because specifically we were not interested in that growing up. I can tell you one thing I did look up on my small bit of a rabbit hole of Rocky Johnson and, and obviously The Rock. Um, what I did find was that I guess Rocky Johnson, it was a big deal at the time in the seventies because he was, you know, being black, mm-hmm. but, yes, um, he was like the, one of the he first, was one of the first, yeah, um, making it big. Yes. So it was like a big deal being a name out there and, and getting to be a, such a superstar as I'm sure he became. And even for the world of wrestling, like in the world of wrestling, it was a big deal making a name, but then just also for his, his community and and everything like that. So, like, now we have such a diversified, like, wrestling, sports, all the things. Right. It doesn't seem as significant, but it really was. That's true. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up. I so, that. so the fact that they made him a big star for the wrestling, even for that 70s show, it's a big deal, like, that he was their, you know, star. And they did get a lot of big professional wrestling names to be in the episode as well, too. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out. No, I like that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so we didn't have any fantasies in this episode or anything new about Fez. No burns. Um, yes, but we'll keep tracking that. Uh, but we do have an ass from Red. Yeah, we did. We did. That got marked off of our bingo card. Yes. That's true. <laughs> 
so that was the episode. Um, make sure that if you enjoyed what you're hearing, share it with your friends. Let other people know about the podcast. Get it out there. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at We Watch Rewatch Podcast. And uh, we hope to see you in the next week. Or, no, not next week. Next two weeks. Sorry. With our next episode. Bye. Bye.